Well, this morning, and, and not just this morning, hopefully, but a number of mornings, y'all can listen to me, and I hope you do, uh, and, and you can hear me say that the Bible will change you, and it will, and it does, and you can hear me talk about how experiencing God will, uh, the, the study will change your life and affect you in ways you had no idea it would, and, and it will, uh, but y'all need to hear from somebody else some. So we have, uh, Amy has asked some folks, I don't know how many she asked, I just know who's coming this morning, to give a, a testimony of how the study is, is speaking to them, and this morning uh, Christy Watson is coming to share with us and give you a little testimony of what God is doing in her life through our uh, church-wide experiencing God study over these next weeks. Good morning. Several years ago, uh, a couple years ago actually, we bought a new car. And that car had all kinds of bells and whistles that I still don't know how to work. The book's in the glove compartment that tells us how to do it. And every now and then, John will say, well, what does that light mean? And I say, I don't know. The, I know how to make it go and get me where I want to go. It does all the things a basic car needs to do. And I don't feel the need to learn a whole bunch more about it than that. If something goes wrong, I have to get the book out and look. I got a new fancy phone, one of those smartphones, you know. I got the basic stuff on it, definitely Facebook, you know, you can't make it without Facebook, but downloading music, there's no music on my phone, Lacey's always telling me about iPods, oh mommy, you need to listen to the uh, iPod cast, or what do you call it, is that what you call it? Close. Something like that. I, I don't know how to do that, she says they're wonderful and that I would really enjoy it, but I, I have the instruction book that tells me how to do it, but I haven't taken the time to figure that out. Really, I just want to hand it to her and say, make it happen. Um, I became a Christian 51 years ago. That, I have to wrap my head around that idea sometimes. And I have been reading the manual um, for being a Christian. Before I became a Christian, I was reading it. So I've been reading this instruction book for a very long time. You know, when, you, when you're young and you start out reading it, you read it with, through one set of eyes. And then you get a little bit older and you have to wear glasses and you read it through your glasses and then you get a little older and you got to have the bifocals and so you you see it differently as the years go by you see different things when you look at it through different eyes through fresh eyes through young eyes and older eyes um, I've never been one to go to Bible studies just never was my thing but this Bible study uh, I thought of it as an opportunity to be closer with my church family, um, you know, do it together as a group with my church family. And then we did the first lesson. It's, you know, if you don't know, it's called Experiencing God. And in the very first lesson, a verse that I've known my whole life, uh, it was revealed to me in a different way, to see it a different way. And the verse is John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Through the lesson, he went on to say, you know, that's what it said. This is what it did not say. He did not say, I will show you the way. He did not say, I'll give you a road map. 
He did not say, I'll tell you what direction to go. He said, I am the way. Jesus knows the way. He is your way. I've read this verse all my life, and I think I interpreted it fairly well and made good use of it through those years. But to look at it through this way, that he's not telling me, go do it that way. He says, follow me and do it. Follow me and I'll show you the way. So that was just the first lesson. Now, we're three weeks into it, and I could tell you each and every day a new revelation that's been made to me through these eyes. And um, I, I look forward to reading the next day's lesson to see what new thing I'm going to find. It's been a blessing to me. John and I discuss it together as a, as a couple. We, we discuss it with our, our group at our uh, Bible study group. Um, it's just been a wonderful experience, and we're only three weeks into it. And I'm just, I just wish everybody could experience this the way we have. And I thank God for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always interesting when God rocks your world with something that you thought you knew and knew for quite a while, and then he goes, yeah, but maybe have you thought about it this way? And uh, those, are, those are good times. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Now, if you're going through experiencing God, then you know that our uh, first memory verse was John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him. The same bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Or some variation of that, depending on the version you memorized. And then your second week memory verse was, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 27. This week, our memory verse is Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And uh, for this is the greatest, uh, the first and the greatest command. Uh, I mixed about three different translations there, uh, if you are aware. And I got the words backwards. See, I'm still, but I tried, right? So keep doing your memory verse. They will stick. And even if you don't get the words just right, like your, your pastor just didn't, uh, the verse is still there. It still, still means something. So memorize those. And we're in Matthew 22, 37 through 38. God pursues a love relationship. That is our third week study. That was the title of the, the third week uh, study. And that's the, the title of the message this morning. John Adams, our second president. Uh, Abigail, his wife. They had an interesting uh, situation. He was the, well, it's actually, it, it sounds better when you talk about her. She was the, the first second lady and the second first lady. She was vice president's wife when Washington was president. Uh, and then she was the president's wife when her husband was. So she was the First, second lady, and the second, first lady. It doesn't work, doesn't sound as interesting when you say he was the vice president than the president. That just that it loses some of its uh, glamour. But these two were incredibly in love. They wrote 11, over 1,100 letters to each other over 54 years of marriage. 
Uh, it's interesting, if you go and read their history, they, uh, they weren't impressed with each other when they first met. He was 24, uh, or 21, she was 15. Uh, they just, you know, they didn't, eh, eh, who cares? Well, three years later, they decided, you know what, there's, maybe there's a little more here. And they ended up getting married, being married 54 years until she died in 1818. Their letters, she was a companion to him. Uh, more than just a, a wife, uh, she was his uh, greatest confidant, she was his greatest advisor, even as president. So many of those letters were political or about business. He was a lawyer, discussing all sorts of things, but many, many of those letters were actually love letters. And they went all the way back to before they were married. And some of them, uh, we, we won't read in, in a church, uh, they weren't terribly graphic, but they were, you know, from a husband to his wife. But they did, they all survived. Uh, John Adams realized early on, okay, this is a big deal. Uh, and, and he encouraged her and, and uh, he himself said, we need to save these letters because these are going to be important to historians someday. He had enough of a, a vision of what they were doing as one of the founders. And as one of the things I read that she could actually be considered one of the founders, so great was her influence on her husband. But she wrote to him in one letter, and this just gives you an idea of the kinds of, uh, of the way they wrote. There is a tie more binding than humanity and stronger than friendship. And by this cord I am not ashamed to say that I am bound, nor do I believe that you are wholly free from it. It was from her to him, talking about how strong her love was for him. There was no getting out of that. He wrote to her at one point, I want to hear you think or see your thoughts. The conclusion of your letter makes my heart throb more than a cannonade would. You bid me burn your letters, but I must forget you first. That was from him to her. I mean, you can see the, the passion. You can see the love that they had. You can see them pursuing a love relationship. And uh, another thing I read this week talked about how he didn't even realize the value of the letters until he was much older, and probably she was gone, because he lived, I think, another, oh, nearly 10 years after she died. And he would read those letters over and over and over. It, this is a, a beautiful example of a love relationship being pursued by, uh, by two people. Some, some things we can uh, see with these letters. Uh, the love was written out to each other. They, they, it was clear in writing that they loved each other. Uh, th we see in these letters that the love was reciprocal. Or for either one of them, it was wasted. If, if, if he loved her, I, I read a, I was looking for this week an example in history of pursuit of, love, of a love relationship. And, and a lot of what I read was unrequited love. He loved her, but she didn't know it, and uh, it influenced his art. Or she loved him, and he didn't know it, and it influenced her poetry, or something like that. This would have been wasted love on any, either part if, if it had not been returned. But we see these letters, in these letters, that it was completely returned. And it was constantly, the third thing we can see is that the love was constantly pursued by each of the parties involved. 
right up to her death after 54 years of marriage. They were still in love. They were still pursuing this love relationship with each other. And these two serve as a great example, worldly example, of a love relationship. Our verse for this morning, our verses, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 38, he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. This morning, we need to see that God is pursuing a love relationship. And in, in preparing, I, I, I wanted to think in looking at the experiencing God study, the title, God Pursues a Love Relationship, I was thinking of all the verses that would have been better for that chapter. Verses that talk about God's pursuit of us, God calling us, God loving us. But instead, we have as our memory verse a command, a command to love God. Our first day study, day one, was created for love relationship. And we look at this verse, and it is a command. It is love the Lord your God, is what he says. This goes all the way back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 6, if I remember correctly. Deuteronomy 6, 5. It is an old command. It is nothing new. It, it, is, uh, it predates the, the command to love God, predates all of the other laws. It's a command for not really just a few people, but for all people. And I'm, this verse doesn't work really, right? I mean, God pursues, and now you're giving us a command to love, a command to do what you're telling us you pursue us in order to do. And one of the things that I thought about is that it's a particularly cruel command if a way of love has not also been provided. If we put it in, in different words, um, if, if you're taken to the top of a building, and uh, a, a tall building, the bank building, or the bridge uh, here, the memorial bridge, and you're told, jump off of the building and fly. But if you're not equipped to fly, if you don't have wings uh, of some type, whether they grow out of your back or attach to you, in a hang glider or something like that, you're going to fall to your death. And that's a particularly cruel command to give you if you, can't if you don't have the ability to fulfill the command. So that was one of the things I thought about. Love the Lord your God, we are told. Do I have the ability? Do, can I? But it's not cruel. And we're going to talk about a couple of reasons why it's not cruel, but one of the reasons it's not cruel is because that's why we were created. That is why we exist. We were created for a love relationship. We were created for, over love, uh, for a love relationship. It, it, it is our, it's our nature to love people. It's our nature to be in some sort of community. We, no one likes to be alone all the time. And if they do, we, we, we're concerned about them. Why, why don't you ever want to be with people? I mean, we have uh, a phobia uh, terms for them if they don't like to go out in public and that sort of thing. We, we, 
we say there's, there's, it's, it's, it's not good for you to be alone all the time because we were created for a love relationship. That's why we exist. Now, obviously, as we read and as believers we know, and if we've spent any time in church, we understand that the ultimate love relationship that we need and crave and were created for was God. But that's day two, so we're not going to talk about that just yet. But the command is not cruel because it is our choice to serve. It is our choice to love God. But the beauty of it is that he is the one that pursues us. He is the one that pursues us to both begin and to continue that love. So I read the verse, I see uh, what's going on that day, and I understand, okay, the command, though it is, uh, difficult, though it, it requires uh, a response on my part, nevertheless, it is not a cruel command because God does pursue us. He does chase after us for us to love Him in return. And the reality is, believers, especially as we go through experiencing the study, experiencing God, and we're looking for ways that we can understand what God is doing and where He's leading and the, the doors He is opening, what He is. Uh, uh, inviting us to be a part of, as a Christian, everything depends on that relationship. If you're going through the study, you know at the end of the week, you are, or at the end of the day, rather, when you get through, it tells you, rewrite one sentence that struck you that week, and, and, and that day, or that, rather that day, struck you that day. And that day, for me, everything we do as a Christian depends on that relationship. If you're not hearing from God, check the relationship. If you don't see God working, check the relationship. If you don't have a love relationship with the Lord like you should, check the relationship. If there are problems in your marriage, check the love relationship with the Lord. Everything as a Christian depends on that relationship because we were created for it and because we were commanded to love Him. A love relationship with God, day two. Not only were we created for a love relationship, we were created for a specific love relationship. The Imago Dei, we, the image of God, Imago Dei, that, that's what we were created in. We, we all bear the image of God. Every human bears the image of God. It doesn't mean that he has arms and legs and it has a particular skin color or anything like that. That's not the image of God we're talking about, though he may, but we don't know he's spirit. We've never seen him. We don't know what he looks like. We don't know what we know or we assume, we're pretty sure it doesn't mean physical, but it means more along the lines of emotional, uh, that we have a spirit, that these bodies are just flesh that we're going to shed someday. We are created in the image of God. So one of those aspects of the Imago Dei is that we love, and we love each other. And we, we have fellowship. But that is only partially true. Or at least that is only part of the equation. We are created for a love relationship with God. Love the Lord, the command says. Jesus says it to these guys here. Uh, Moses said it to the Israelites in Deuteronomy. Only one true object of our love. 
only one. We, we, we terribly misuse the word love. Uh, you know, I love LSU, or, you know, I love donuts. Um, well, you know, I'm a fan of LSU, and donuts taste really, really good, but that word love, we have watered it down to mean anything that brings us pleasure, anything that brings us joy, and, and that's not... That doesn't carry the weight of this word love. This is devotion. Now, for some of us, it might carry, you know, when we say we love LSU, we do mean we are completely devoted to them, and they are the number one thing in our lives. And, and if so, you've got issues. That's a little too far. Well, let's come back from our sports a little bit, and let's define that word love the way it's supposed to be defined, as it is used here. See, there's, there's no other person or object that should command such devotion as the Lord. Love the Lord is the command. Love the Lord. Give everything to Him. He's going to explain exactly how He means give everything to Him in just a few, just a few words later. Those words that he says, in case you don't understand, in case you don't, don't get the degree to which you should love the Lord, he clears it up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, and with all of your mind. Those three parts of us that love cover everything. That, that's, that's everything about us. Heart, soul, and mind. A different uh, gospels say strength. There are uh, add strength. Some of them just say strength. There are reasons why the, they mean different things or why they have different words there at the end. All those reasons don't matter because you, you, you include strength, you replace mind with strength. You're still covering every part of us. There's nothing left of you to give to anything else if you love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. You, you, you don't have anything else to give away. You don't have any part of you with which to love anything else. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm telling you that if you love God with everything, there's nothing left of you to love anything else with. Because love, as he is talking about, is pure, unadulterated, unquestionable, unquestioning devotion. We've made it an emotion. How we feel that day. I'm in love with you. I'm not in love with you. I love you today, but I don't love you tomorrow. I, like, I love you, but I don't like you right now. You know, that's actually closer to, to the real meaning. I love you. I am devoted to you, but right now I don't like you very much. That actually gets to really what we're talking about. Love the Lord your God. Be devoted with, to the Lord your God with everything you have and nothing else gets that. That is a radical idea because some of you right now are thinking, oh, I'm supposed to love my wife. Well, you are. But it, it doesn't mean you don't love your wife. It doesn't mean you don't love your family. It doesn't mean you don't love donuts. You can love all three of those things. But the moment any of those three things take the place of your love and devotion to God, they are, that is not healthy love, that is idol worship. Yes, your spouse can be an idol. Your family can be an idol. 
donuts can be an idol. Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. Every love that you have outside of the love that you're, or in place of the love that you're supposed to have for God is idol worship, is idolatry. These loves, spouse, family, donuts, cars, LSU, all of those things are to be filtered through and empowered by your premier, your number one, your greatest command and first command to love God. You cannot love your spouse if you don't love God. You cannot love your spouse correctly if you don't love God first with all of your heart, soul, and mind. You can't love your family correctly until you love God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. And you could do without donuts and LSU, so I'm not even going to consider those. But those things that you should love, those things that you are to be devoted to, are second to your devotion to God. That's why the command is so radical. That's why Jesus would say things like, you can't follow me if you're not willing to leave your family. Would say things like, I have come to split up families, to turn one against the other. He could say those things because he knew devotion to God was greater than devotion to spouse or family. He knew that devotion to him was going to cause problems. And when those problems arise, when those problems come, our first and greatest command is to love the Lord, your God. And then everything else will be taken care of by him. See, we were created for a love relationship with God. That is our first and greatest command. And we cannot get around that, and we cannot put anything else in its way. That leads us into day three, where we are talked about walking with God. Because once we understand why we're here, we're here for a love relationship with God, and, and whom we should love, the Lord, we're created for a love relationship, that love relationship with the Lord, then life is spent in that pursuit. We walk with God day by day. Heart, soul, and mind, like I said earlier, it is so uh, uh, all-encompassing that it covers every aspect of life. As a matter of fact, we could add anything to this verse. We wouldn't want to because we're not supposed to add to Scripture. But in application, we can add anything we want to to that verse. Love the Lord your, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, finances, job, play, family, plans, future, hopes, objects, desires, etc., etc., etc. We could go on and on and say that everything about us, everything that we do, think, feel, all of that is supposed to be directed to and, and used for our love relationship with God. And if they are not, we are misusing the gifts and the blessings that God has given us. It's a tough spot to be in. Because the car is mine. I mean, I'm not supposed to use that for God. Unless I am. I mean, my life is, my, my job, I, I, that's just for me to make money so I can feed my family. No, your job is God's, and your family is God's, and the food is God's, and the money is God's. See, everything that we have is supposed to be used for the Lord. We, we, I, I have this idea that, okay, my job is God's. I'm a pastor. Can't get out of that one. 
I know, my job is, it's all his. But, right, I get to do some other things on my own. I mean, that, that's, that's just my stuff. This is what I do, 60, 80, however many hours a week it works out to on a given week, 40-some uh, weeks, you know, more of the others. This, that's God's, but any of my other time is really mine, and, 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 and no. Um, it's not a history we're proud of, but we can go back and look at our, our slave history and, and, and when we, in, in, in looking at it, we understand the reality of slavery. We know what a slave is. A slave does not get to choose what to do in his off time. A slave doesn't get off time. A slave is constantly and continuously at the owner's beck and call. We are slaves to God. We don't have off time. We don't have, okay, this is my God time, this is when I give it to him, and this other, this is mine, I can do what I want to. No, it doesn't work that way. We are not hirelings. We are not employed a few hours a week by God, whether it's as a job for however many hours or for those who would come on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, and, and we increment it that way and say, okay, these hours are for, God's, for God and everything else is for, my, for me. That is not the way it works. Heart, soul, and mind, if we love God with our heart, our soul, and mind, we're talking about everything we have and everything we are. And this is radical to the Western Christian. This, we want to argue with this. Some of y'all are sitting here right now arguing in your heads with everything I'm saying. Well, I don't, he doesn't, no, no, that's not, uh -uh, I can't give this and I can't give that. Okay, can't, you need to change that to won't, not can't. And just because you won't doesn't mean it's not commanded. Just because you won't doesn't mean you aren't supposed to. And just because you won't doesn't mean that God won't require it of you and ask for it and command it and then get your attention someday when you haven't been giving it to him like you should. All of this is tied to our love relationship for God. If our love relationship with him is correct, then we don't have a problem when he interrupts our lives, as he's going to talk about in a few lessons. It, 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 it doesn't bother us when, it didn't bother Abraham when God showed up and said, leave the home of your family. It didn't bother uh, David when he had to be called in from the, the fields to be anointed as king, the youngest of Jesse's kids. Not the one you would pick. God interrupted what he thought he was going to do. It didn't bother Elijah that he had to go and build an altar on, on, on Mount Carmel and, and take the offering and put it on there and, and pour buckets of water on this offering. Buckets of water in the middle of a drought. Buckets of water in the middle of a drought that Elijah had prayed for. And by prayed for, I mean prayed to happen. Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Then Elijah prayed and it did. That's how we are told about Elijah in the New Testament. It didn't bother him that he had to do this, that God interrupted his life and said, go and do this a certain way, do these things, because they knew their lives weren't theirs. They loved the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul. 
And if our relationship is right, then all of those parts are already given to God. And so when he says, I need your money, when he says, I need your time, when he says, I need your family, when he says, I need you to give this or do that or get rid of this other, we're willing. Because we have the relationship with him already that says, it's not mine, it's his. That's what walking with God in the midst of this verse, in the context of this verse, looks like. But then, as I said, it, it's a command, it's a cruel command if no opportunity has been given to, to fulfill the command, but that is not the case. God pursues this love relationship. Now, using Abigail and John Adams, we see a mutual per, a pursuit. The reality is, we don't pursue God. We don't pursue God until God empowers us to pursue him. See, this command, day four, God pursues a love relationship, this command comes with empowerment. It's, 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 it's the instructions, Christy, to, 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 the, to the new car. This car will do all those things for you, but you've you got to read the instructions in, under, in order to understand what to do and how to do it and what's, what it means. The command to love the Lord your God is a brutal command, but it comes with all of the instructions. Because we find it in God's word where he then explains to us how we can have the relationship with him that allows us, that empowers us to love him with everything we have. See, we, we can go back all the way to the beginning of our love relationship with God. Assuming you are a believer, assuming there was a point in time where you trusted Christ for your salvation and you became an adopted child of his, then we can go back to that moment and we can say that your salvation is a result of God's call to you. Your salvation is not a result of you pursuing God. We use, oftentimes, we'll use a, a phrase uh, in describing a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. We might say something like, he chased her till she caught him. Y'all heard that phrase before? He chased her till she caught him? See, he thought he was in pursuit all the time, no, she was the one completely in control, and she let it go on until she was willing to be caught by him, and, and that puts a whole new flavor on what went on. That is similar, all analogies break down, but that is similar to the relationship we have with the Lord. Some of us, we, can, we are so sure of the time that we began to understand, have our, have our eyes opened to what Jesus had done for us, that we've convinced ourselves we found Jesus. We use that phrase, don't we? But what we don't understand is that prior to that, God pursued us. God chased us. C.S. Lewis called him the hound of heaven, that he would chase us, he would pursue us until we found him. The command comes with this empowerment because our salvation is a result of God's call. You could not have been saved without God working in you. 
You would have never pursued God. You would have never chased God. You would have never thought about your need for God if he had not pursued you in some way. Maybe that pursuit was a preacher preaching on a Sunday morning like this in a nice, comfortable sanctuary. Maybe, for some people around the world, it was a missionary that was sent by God to a people he was working in already through dreams, through visions. The stories nowadays from missionaries of how they will go into a completely closed community. And it, it is happening regularly with uh, former Muslims, well, they're Muslims at the time, Muslims that come to Christ in completely closed nations where the gospel isn't. A missionary will slip in, be able to work their way in. They will meet somebody and that somebody will strike up a conversation or the missionary will strike up a conversation with them. It will turn to spiritual things. And that Muslim will say, are you a Christian? And of course, that's a baited question in that sort of country. If you say yes, that could be a death sentence. But that missionary will say yes. And they will hear back from that Muslim, I had a dream last week. A dream that I was, whatever the situation is, I was at a cafe drinking coffee. And someone sat down and they said something, a word, and it, 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 you said that word just a few minutes ago, and it triggered the memory of that dream. And I knew in my dream that it was a Christian. And I knew in my dream that that was something I needed to look for. And, and the stories are, are different, but they are so common. Why? Because God is already working in the hearts of those people. He's already there, and they are, he's, he's saying things to them, and then somebody goes, and they wouldn't have gotten saved without the intervention, without the gospel message coming to them through that person. They were pursued by God. You were pursued by God. You were saved by God, and he continues to pursue you. We also want this idea that God saves us and, and leaves us alone. That, that's the easiest for us. Then I don't have to do anything for him. I don't feel guilty for my sin. I don't, I don't have to step up and, and serve. I don't have to go to the mission field. I don't have to teach a children's Sunday school class. I don't have to do all of these things because I got saved and that's all I need to do. Or we'll say, I got saved and I served for a little while, but I've retired. You know there's no retirement clause in the Christian life. You know there's nowhere in the Bible where it's, Abraham was 80 uh, uh, when he, I mean, sorry, Moses was 80 when he was called from the burning bush. Abraham began the, the, the lineage of Jesus when he was 99. Uh, there's, there's no retirement clause. There's no point where you can say, God is done pursuing me. There's no point where you can say God has done, is done with me. I don't have to do anymore because he continues to pursue you. Let me ask you this. Why do you believe he doesn't have the right to do what he wishes with you? Why do you believe that your position in life, your, your age, your, your stage, your interpretation of scripture whatever it is why do you believe he doesn't 
have the right to do what he wishes with you when he was the one who saved you, when he was the one who bought you, when he is the one who pursued the initial relationship with you, continues to pursue the relationship with you, and you said, when I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I also accept him as my Lord. Lord doesn't mean buddy. Lord doesn't mean best friend who, who I hang out with a, a little bit. Lord means master, means he's my master, my owner, means I am the slave. I am the one who does only what I'm told. Let me ask you this, what can you do without God? Now you think you can do plenty maybe, uh, and you can certainly sin without him. That's about it. See, we, we, we want to compartmentalize our salvation from our service. We want to compartmentalize our, our one-time experience with the rest of, from the rest of our lives. God, I'll let, you, I'll let you step into my life this time, but please don't after that. That is not the relationship he is talking about. That is not the love relationship that God commands or expects when we come to him, as, come to Jesus as our Savior. God pursues a love relationship because our love relationship is the call. Our love relationship is how we know what we're supposed to be doing. Our, our love relationship, God's speaking to us, is based on our love relationship. And day five told us that it was a real, personal, practical relationship that we have with the Lord through Jesus Christ. See, heart, soul, and mind here show us that there is meat to this relationship. It's not just a, a cognitive uh, um, Oh, you, you uh, agreement. Okay, sure, Lord, yep, you saved me, great. There, there, there's, there's something real to this. There's, there is flesh on this. There's meat to this relationship. There's responsibility. There are actions. First of all, it is real. A relationship with God can happen. Some of us want our, our salvation through Jesus just to mean we get to go to heaven. We either downplay by our actions or by our beliefs that I can't really have an intimate relationship with God. That is not true. By definition, salvation through Jesus Christ is an intimate relationship with God. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, uh, some of you talked about it this morning in your uh, Sunday school class. Others that were here Wednesday night uh, we talked about it in the Bible study. Chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have the most intimate relationship possible with our God because of our salvation. That is real. The fact that we can call the creator of the universe, the creator of us, Daddy, is incredible. But that is the relationship we have. It is a real relationship. It is a personal relationship. Also wrapped up in that uh, adoption language, the, the, the daddy language of Galatians 4, 6, is the idea that he is not some distant 
force. He is a personal loving God. He is a personal loving God that cares about you. A loving God that wants you to know him better. Wants you to to, uh, spend time with him. That's the God that we serve. He pursues this. Why does he keep showing up at your doorstep? Why does he keep knocking at the door of your heart? Why does he keep messing with your life? Because he wants a relationship with you. And some of us want to hold him at arm's length. I got the salvation, but don't mess up my life. Don't interrupt what's going on. Don't make things awkward with me for my friends or family. Don't, don't, don't is what we tell God. As if he is some faraway thing we can control. And not a personal, loving father that wants the best for us, but wants his will for us, which is always the best. It's real, it's personal, and it is practical. The relationship is fitted for actual work and useful activities. That's the definition of practical. Fitted for actual work and useful activities, even if it doesn't make sense. Now, some of you are going to who've been doing the study, that that phrase is going to ring out for you, even if it doesn't make sense, because the second week, the Sunday night, we talked about God's will almost always won't make sense. Our will almost always will. It's not impractical just because it doesn't make sense to us. Practical means that it is fitted for actual work and useful activities. Our relationship has a purpose. It is practical. It may, go, it may stretch us further than we ever thought we could stretch. It may call us to do things we never thought we could do. And our faith may be, te- may be tested to a degree uh, to which we have never been tested before. But that does not mean it's impractical. It just means our finite minds can't handle it. But the God who created us and called us can. The relationship is fitted for actual use. It is practical. Nothing's more practical than God's presence. Nothing's more useful than God's presence. If you're attempting to scale a cliff, you're a, one of these mountain climbers that, that does all the, uh, you know, you, you climb the flat things that, it's ridiculous if you ask me, what's the point? Walk around. But, you know, they want to do it, and that's great. Every one of them has some tool that they use, whether it's a particular type of shoe. Some of them have the little chalk in the bag so their hands don't get wet, so they can grab, off on the, grab these little pieces. Maybe they use the, the uh, 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 hooks and the ropes and however they do it. All those tools, no matter how much they say it's just them, all those tools are infinitely practical, right? They help them accomplish the purpose. God's presence is infinitely practical on, in his calling on our lives because they help us, he helps us do what he's called us to do. That's the definition of practical, useful. God's presence is not something that just makes us feel good. God's presence is useful in our lives. It is practical because he has called us to a love relationship that demands action. See, God pursues I said of the Abigail, uh, the, the, the Abigails, the Adams' letters, the love was written out. Y'all, the love is written out. It is clear that God loves us. 
Just like those letters between John and Abigail, the letter from God to us makes his desire for a relationship with us clear. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus and the purpose of Jesus' death on the cross, burial, and resurrection was to create a way for salvation, a way for relationship. And this entire book either points toward from the past or points back from the future toward the cross, toward Christ. It is love written out. The love was reciprocal or it was wasted, is what I said about John and Abigail. Nothing God does is wasted. His word never returns void. So I wouldn't want to say that anything he does is wasted. But I will say his love for us was never intended to be unreturned. If we don't return his love, if it is not reciprocal, it is by our choice that we are not loving him, that we are not listening to him, that we are not heeding his call. John and Abigail showed us that the love they had was being constantly pursued by each one of them. Well, God's pursuing of you is guaranteed and sure. I ask you this morning, what about your pursuit of him? Is your love reciprocal? Are you chasing him as hard as he chased you? Are you seeking a relationship to increase that relationship, to, to see where he is working, to hear his voice when he calls? to go where he leads, to allow him to interrupt your life, to get rid of the don't from your vocabulary when it comes to God. Get rid of the won't when he tells you to do something. Are you pursuing him as hard as he has pursued you? This morning, maybe God is pursuing you for that initial rebirth. For that first time call, for that restoration. Maybe he wants to make you your, his for the first time. He's calling out to you, calling you to come to Jesus. God is pursuing you this morning and he needs you to understand. He wants you to understand him. That he is holy and just. That he is, is perfect in every way and he cannot sin and he cannot be in the presence of sin. And because he is perfect and holy and just, he will judge sin, which is his right to do. And he will do it someday. And you may very well be a recipient of that justice and that judgment. Because we are all sinners. We all fail. We all willfully choose to disobey God. We are enemies of his, the Bible calls us. And we're destined for that everlasting torment. We are destined for the judgment that God will pour out on sin. The wrath that he will pour out. But Jesus. But Jesus was sent to change that. God pursues you this morning by presenting the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ and him alone. The, the way, the truth, and the life that Christy talked about. See, Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty of your sin and to take your sin. He did both on that cross. He took all of the sins you'll commit, 
all the sins that you have committed, if you've not trusted Christ, the moment you trust Christ, every sin you ever committed is forgiven. But every sin you will commit is also forgiven. He took them all on the cross, laid in the grave for three days, and rose on the third day to show us the hope of our salvation, to show us that he had defeated both death and sin. So the question this morning for you is, will you respond to the pursuit of God in your life? Unbeliever, will you repent of your sin, place your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, repent of those sins, and follow God? Give him everything. Love him with all of your mind, with all of, uh, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Will you give him your all? That's all he asks for, is everything. And in return, you get eternity and a life abundant. But will you do that? Today's your day. Now's your time to choose him, to follow him respond to the pursuit of God in your life this morning. Pray with me. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you pursue. Thank you that you are the determined hound of heaven that chases us and chases us. And Lord, we know that there will come a time when, when you may not chase us anymore, when you will let us have our way. But God, we don't know when that is, so we don't, I don't, worry about that. Lord, I know that you continue to draw. And this morning you are drawing someone to salvation. I pray that they would respond in faith to what you are doing as you pursue today. God, this morning there are believers that you are pursuing and you are requiring you're demanding, and believers are refusing. God, believers are resting on, on a one-time event, but they're not giving you their lives. God, I pray this morning that as believers, we would lay it all down that we would lay our entire, uh, entire lives on the altar. That we would give up everything. Not hold something back, this is mine and the rest is yours, but Lord, to give you everything, to love you with everything that we have and with everything that we are. Not a superficial love like we love donuts, but a devotion that says everything is yours and nothing is mine. I cease to exist and I only exist in you. God, it's radical what you have called us to. But it's what you have called us to. And you promise rewards and blessings. You promise an abundant life. You promise your very practical and real and constant presence. If we will just give you everything. Lord, may believers respond this morning. Respond to your pursuit and in turn, turn and pursue you with everything they have this morning. God, as we worship you, as we hear from you, may we respond in obedience to your every call. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
So what are you doing this morning? What's your decision? Do you need to trust Christ as your Savior? Do you need to, have you done that this morning? You, okay, that all made sense to me. That's something I need to do. You've done that in your heart, but you want to come and, and talk to me about it. You want me to pray with you? That'd be great. I'd love to do that. Maybe you need to follow in obedience in baptism. You've trusted Christ, but you want to make that next step. Come, let's talk about that. Join our church. Submit, believer, to what he is doing and to what he's calling you to. Submit to love him with all your heart, mind, uh, soul, and, and, and mind. What's he calling to you this morning to do? We're going to stand. We're going to sing. Jordan's going to be over there in that corner. If you'd like to pray with him, I'll be here. The prayer rails are open. You do what God's calling you to do. Respond today as God does business with you in your heart.